Yo, what's good, New York? It's the Harvester Colin Atrophy. Uh, welcome to the 15th episode of Radio Harvester, what we talk about when we talk about pizza. Uh, that I said that weird. Welcome to the 15th episode of Radio Harvester, what we talk about when we talk about pizza. And uh, today's guest is me. Uh, and I'm not going to be interviewing myself because that would be weird. So, Colin, like, what do you think about this thing? Well, Colin, I think this. Nah, that's dumb. That's a dumb schmaltzy format that I don't want nothing to do with. Instead, what I'm doing is I'm reading a segment, an excerpt from my book. I'm reading it aloud to you. You can listen like an audiobook, except not like my audiobook because they wouldn't let me read my audiobook, uh, which I am uh, not happy about. But um, that's life. You know what I mean? What are you going to do? Uh, say lovey. Otherwise, the publishing a book, writing and publishing a book process has been absolutely lovely. Anyway, listen. So here it is. Here's this excerpt. Uh, the book's out in a week. It's called Slice Harvester, a memoir on pizza. It's on Simon & Schuster. Uh, I'm really proud of myself. I'm not going to self-deprecate in the way that I would as a Jew and as a punk. I'm just going to say I'm happy with this. I put a lot of work into it and... I, you know, I poured a lot of my heart into it or whatever, but honestly, it was like an emotionally trying thing. And I did it, and it's here, and um, I hope you like it too, because I, I like it, and I'm proud, and I'm happy, and I think it's the best thing I've ever done. So um, without further ado, let's get back to the song. As we walked and talked, guided by a map I had drawn, Pizza Palace, our final destination, loomed ahead. I started to have my doubts about the worthiness of this endeavor. Six pizzerias in, and not only had I not had a single great slice yet, I'd had five terrible slices. I wasn't feeling hopeful as Tooth and I looked across Dykeman Street at an awning that read, Pizza, Heroes, presumably advertising slices and sandwiches, although the proper pluralization of Hero the Sandwich would not have contained the superfluous E. Tooth noticed the typo, turned to me, and muttered, You're my pizza hero. From across the darkening street, I could see figures in the pizza parlor window. Swarthy white men wearing red striped shirts, aprons, and paper hats giving dap to two Dominican teens wearing baggy tall tees and bone thug braids. I could hear the strains of a Katy Perry song echoing from a tinny boombox. And I could imagine the exact scene playing out year after year with different music coming from the boombox and different clothes and hairstyles on the teenagers. In my daydreams, Pizza Palace and its employees remain constant. I want to say that when we stepped into Pizza Palace, it felt like we had stepped into a time machine, but it would be more apt to say that we had stepped outside of time. When we got inside, we noticed that there were three dudes behind the counter, all seemingly related and ranging in age from probably like 17, through John Torturo to hella old. We ordered our slice from Torturo, paid our money to 17, and were grilled suspiciously by hella old. The slice itself was a mess, asymmetric, thicker than I usually like, a crust that looked like it had barely been in the oven, and cheese bubbling off the sides like hot lava. We got to the table, and before I even took a bite, I said to my companion, I'm afraid of this slice, Tooth. He gave me the highbrow, a questioning glance. It's just, this place is so cool and I really want the slice to be good, 
Plus, I'm honestly scared that if I say anything bad about it and one of the other customers or God forbid those guys behind the counter overhear me, they'll kick my ass. These people all seem like they take this pizza very seriously. It's a lot of pressure. Tooth looked me dead in my eyes and said, Colin, sometimes fear is a key ingredient to a perfect slice. Luckily, we didn't have to find out what would have happened if we talked shit about that pizza because it was actually really, truly very good. Uh, That was me embellishing. It just says really good in the book. I don't use that many adjectives. Well, I mean, I use a lot of different adjectives, but I don't use that many in a row. Anyways, because it was really good. It was different than I usually like and was definitely not my ideal slice, but damn, son. It was so big I could barely fit the thing in my mouth. And it was wet, but not so wet that it was slipping and sliding all over the place. Just wet enough and just warm enough too. This slice was big, wet and warm and I wanted it in my mouth forever. Things were looking up. So that's the end of chapter one. And now I'm gonna just dip into chapter two for you. You know what I mean? Instead of just reading you one chapter, this is how we do at Slice Harvester Headquarters. We give you, we give you a tasty treat for your mind. <laughs> okay, anyway, uh, that's chapter one, this is chapter two. In order to fully understand, oh, and you know what you don't get to see? The beautiful drawing that Joe Porter made uh, for this chapter. And he made a drawing for every chapter, including the prologue, which is a chapter that's non-numerical. That comes before the numbered chapters. I don't, you know, I wonder if, I bet my book is bullshit, but if my book was a smart person book, it would have Roman numeral numbers for the prologue. Nope. It's just a dumb person book for you. Uh, don't worry, you can read it, dummy. Uh, anyway, here, on to chapter two. In order to fully understand the magic of Pizza Palace, we need to get to know John Camboris, the man who's run the place for the past 30 years. Camboris, who owns Pizza Palace with his brother George, moved to Inwood from Greece in the 1960s. He got a job as a dishwasher at a little restaurant on Broadway, then became a cook at a small diner in the Bronx, slowly crawling up the food service food chain until 1971 when he opened his own coffee shop on Sherman Ave. He ran that until 1986 when he bought Pizza Palace, which had originally been opened in 1945 by three brothers. They were guys from my home island, John told me in his slight Greek accent, which you'll have to imagine because I'm not going to say a Greek accent because I'm not going to get in trouble with people that think that I'm making fun of people by the bad Greek accent I do, plus I'm not going to acknowledge what a bad voice actor I am in front of all of y'all, all of y'all, all y'all, all around the world, though, yeah, yeah, I don't do Greek accents. Um, they were guys from my home island, John told me in his slight Greek accent one afternoon when I stopped at Pizza Palace for a slice. The three brothers, one of them wanted to leave. He said to me, John, what are you doing in this coffee shop? Buy my share of the pizza parlor. Pizza, this is where you're going to make your money. But what do I know pizza, I asked him. Pizza's easy, he told me. I'll teach you. And so I thought the offer over, and I've been here ever since. He punctuated this statement with a small stamp of his foot and a grand sweep of his arms around his pleasantly run-down pizza shop, smiling proudly. Like any part of New York, Inwood is a neighborhood with a long and complex history. Inwood Hill Park is where Peter Minuit, Peter Minute, Peter Minuit. I don't know how you say this guy's name, come to think of it, because I've never said it out loud. M-I-N-U-I-T. I'm going to go with the first one. Inwood Hill Park is where Peter Minuit, quote, 
purchase Manhattan from the island's indigenous people. The Dutch began settling there in the 17th century, but the only traces of their former presence are the names of Dykeman Avenue, which I realized last chapter I was calling it Dykeman Street, so I don't know which one is right, but obviously that's the incongruity, incongruity, and it's a mistake on my part and also the part of the fact checkers at Simon & Schuster. But the only flaw of the Crystal Palace is that it has no flaws, you know what I mean? So like, there's gotta be a mistake in my book or else why, it would be too perfect and y'all would hate me and gum me down in the streets for being too good. The, da, blah. the Dutch began settling there in the 17th century, but the only traces of their former presence are the names of Dykeman Avenue and a Dutch colonial farmhouse built in 1784 that's now a museum called Dykeman House and the projects in Wood, which are called the Dykeman Houses. A museum and a housing project are nearly polar opposite in terms of usage and public perception of value. So there's a certain unpleasant irony in the fact that these two spaces share a name. The neighborhood remained relatively rural until the early 20th century when subways were built to connect it to the rest of the city and new construction began to flourish. Irish laborers were brought in to build apartment houses, which they subsequently moved into. The Irish were soon followed by a wave of Jewish immigrants fleeing the jury claustrophobia of the Lower East Side, and a small enclave of Greeks, including John Camboris, came over from Kos, a tiny island 120th the size of Delaware, with a smaller population than that of Minot, North Dakota. Inwood was pretty suburban until the late 1940s, when Robert Moses built the Dykeman Houses, a seven-building project on 10th Ave. This was also when two of the neighborhood's most famous residents were born. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was born and raised in the Dykeman Houses and grew up to be really tall and also the highest scoring basketball player maybe ever. I literally mean maybe because I don't know anything. I think I Wikipedia'd, Wikipedia'd, Wikipedia'd that, Wikipedia Pablo. Uh, and also the highest scoring basketball player like ever. And writer slash famous junkie Jim Carroll, although he didn't move to Inwood until he was 15. His most famous book, though, The Basketball Diaries, is about being a dirtbag teen here. Though pretty much any New York neighborhood worth its salt has inspired some kind of art about being a dirtbag teen. Upper East Side, Catcher in the Rye, Queens Bridge, Infamous Mob Deep, Lower East Side, Low Life by Luke Sant, etc. Don't you think it's telling that I don't got to tell you who wrote Infamous Mob Deep or uh, that? Well, because I guess Mob Deep, the name is in there, but like... How about I don't got to give you the catcher and the rye guy's name, whatever that name is, but I do got to tell you Luke Sant's name because I, I expect you don't know it. You know what I mean? But maybe it's not about Luke Sant and maybe it's actually about me not knowing the catcher and the rye guy's name. Um, who cares about that dude, right? Uh, not me. Uh, I do care about Luke Sant though. Poppy, follow me back on Twitter, Luke Sant. I want that follow back. By the 70s, many of the Irish, Jewish, and Greek families had left following the pattern of white flight exhibited much of the city, and the neighborhood was settled by a wave of newcomers from the Dominican Republic, many of whom remain today. During the 80s, Inwood was hit hard by the crack epidemic and all its accompanying violence and desolation, which brings us to 1986, when John Camboris bought Pizza Palace from his old buddy from the old country. During the next two decades, John saw the pizzeria he had taken over as one of the few constants in the otherwise unstable urban terrain of Inwood. Many of the Dominican residents who had come to the neighborhood as kids during the 70s had grown up eating pizza there and begun to bring their children in to sample the slices. Today, 
There are at least three generations in the neighborhood who have eaten at Johnny's, as the place is locally known. I asked John's son, Nick, a jovial guy about my age, who at the time was studying for his master's in education, but still helping out around the pizza shop on busy days, what he thought of the neighborhood and what had compelled his father to stay when a bulk of the Greek community left for Queens in the Bronx. He was like, even though the people have changed, the neighborhood is still the same, a stepping stone for recent immigrants. Neighborhoods like this are important to the city, and our pizza shop ties the community that's currently here to the community that left. It gives people a reason to hold on to their identity. Inwood is a great place to keep your culture and traditions and learn what it means to be American at the same time. We should have this guy be the, um, the liaison for New York instead of Taylor Swift, because he's actually pretty smart and said a really nice thing. Um, this is why I love New York. The dense population and physical proximity to other humans from wildly disparate backgrounds forges bonds that will be hard to create elsewhere. And yet, I often run into lifelong New Yorkers who seem to feel the exact opposite way. A couple days ago, for instance, I was talking to a guy standing in line in front of me at the pizza parlor, and he mentioned that he had grown up in Richmond Hill. I was all, no shit, a bunch of my family lived there decades ago, and I've got a couple friends who grew up there. Seems like an interesting neighborhood. It's mostly Caribbean and Indian these days, right? Yeah, he said wistfully, shaking his head slowly back and forth and looking down at the counter. It used to be Irish and Italian, though. He raised an eyebrow and looked at me, as if I obviously understood and agreed with him that it should have stayed that way. Fuck that. My dad's family moved from Williamsburg, Brooklyn to Rosedale, Queens when he was still a kid. Rosedale is a suburban neighborhood just north of Kennedy Airport, right on the border of Queens and Long Island. When my dad was little, the neighborhood was mostly Jewish and Italian families, like my father's, immigrant parents trying to inch their children out of the densely populated urban enclaves where they had initially settled, taking one incremental step closer to realizing the suburban American dream of a white picket fence and a sprawling lawn. I spent a lot of Jewish holidays in Rosedale as a kid. My grandparents would take me to the park, and then we'd go to the Buttermill, a Jewish bakery that made the best mandel bread I've ever had, or to the Woodrow Delicatessen for knishes, pastrami sandwiches, and black cherry soda. My grandmother died when I was 13. When I was 19, my grandfather moved to Florida as part of the ongoing Great Jewish Migration. Uh, footnote, all New York Jews, when they reach a certain age and if they have the means, move to Florida. That's the Great Jewish Migration. But I still go to Rosedale at least once a year to visit my best friend's mother, Miss Wigley, who came to New York from Jamaica 30 or 40 years ago. As I observe to the pizza line bozo about Richmond Hill, Rosedale seems predominantly Caribbean these days. Mostly Jamaican and Haitian, I think. When I visit with Miss Wiggs, instead of knishes and black cherry soda, we eat beef patties and drink sorrel punch. But the feelings of love are the same. The kvetching is the same, though in different dialect. The sense of pride in being able to own a home in a nice neighborhood is the same. I began visiting Mrs. Wigley a few years after my grandfather moved out of Queens. Returning to Rosedale, seeing the same landscape populated by different people always seems so beautiful to me. That a geographic location could serve the same function for multiple immigrant communities in succession always seemed like a tiny victory in a city full of tragedy. So when people like that schmuck at the pizza shop spew their xenophobic nostalgia, it really galls me. Part of me wanted to shout at the guy, but part of me wanted to talk to him nicely. That's untrue. Uh, I did not want to talk to him nicely at all. 
but my editor was like, why don't you say you wanted to talk to him nicely instead of just saying you wanted to scream in his face? Because people, people, if they just hear about how you wanted to scream in some guy's face that you didn't do, and then you just sat at home and thought about it, and then eventually wrote it into a book, they're gonna think you're some, some passive aggressive spineless doofus, uh, and they're not gonna like you. And you want them to like you is the beginning of your book. They could start liking you. They could stop. That you want them to like you at the beginning. And then kind of stop liking you at the middle and then like you way more by the end because that's the trajectory. That's an emotional growth. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> part of me wanted to shout at the guy, but part of me wanted to talk to him nicely. In my daydreams, I was like, you do realize, don't you, that back when that neighborhood was Irish, the Irish were scorned and quietly feared by mainstream white America in the same way you're looking down on your Desi neighbors in Richmond Hill, right? You've only been white for like a hundred years, buddy. Get over yourself. Uh, of course, I didn't say that because I don't lecture strangers. Uh, moving on. In his two-part essay, Times Square Red, Times Square Blue, Samuel Delaney, Bronx native, award-winning science fiction writer, preeminent documentarian of cruising culture in New York City, my favorite author, writes that within the now eradicated cruising scene in the porno theaters of Times Square, he saw more cross-class contact than in any other type of space in New York City. I would say that the ideal pizzeria shares this quality, though perhaps to a lesser extent, and that these characteristics are embodied perfectly by the scene at Pizza Palace on Dykeman. Here we have first, second, and third generations from a handful of different nations preparing and eating food together. Young mothers gossiping in Spanish with their strollers parked at the edge of the table, less affluent Columbia students who can't afford the rents in Morningside Heights and so settled in Inwood, seemingly ageless neighborhood junkies who could be a world-worn 30 or a pickled preserved 70, young seminary students on their way back from visiting the cloisters, all have a slice waiting for them. And in the midst of it is John Camboris, standing in the back room at his 60-year-old industrial mixer making the dough for tomorrow's pies. That, and that's it. you meet me downtown hey thanks so much for listening hey I'm gonna stop singing now um uh, yeah that's two burps uh I guess that's cool I just ate an ice cream cone that's an ice cream burp which feels very unpleasant it feels about as unpleasant as eating an ice cream cone rules um so yeah, anyway, thank you for uh, listening to this, and thank you to La Cara Occulta, the defunct punk band from Florida, who, uh, unbeknownst to them, years before I ever conceived of this thing, wrote my theme song. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, for that foresight. And thank you to uh, The Babies, whose song, Meet Me in the City, I'm talking over right now. It's from their uh, self-titled album on Woodsist from 2011. And buy that. But um, buy my book first. That's why we're here. That's why we're talking about this. Because my book is out in one week, exactly. 
and you should buy it. And I don't care how you buy it, buy it however you buy books. Hopefully that's like at the cool mom and pop store where they um, give all their money to the anarchist collective or whatever. But if it's actually just from like robot capitalist uh, internet uh, BS, then I'm not going to shame you for that. I, I participate in that kind of dumb stuff all the time. So who am I to judge? I'm not looking askance. Uh, anyway, so buy it. It comes out next week. And also that day, exactly one week from today, I'm having a book release party at the Silent Barn. There's going to be free pizza. The band Downtown Boys is playing. The band In School is playing. I'm going to read. My book will be available in person for the first time. It's very exciting. And if you can't make that, come the week later at the Read Bookstore where I'm doing a reading. Uh, it's on Franklin Avenue Greenpoint. And I'm doing a reading with my friends Lola and Susie. And it's going to be really good. And other people too. Scott Wiener from Scott's Pizza Tours. I think someone from Pizza Underground is going to read. And another person. Maybe a, another one too. I don't remember. It's a lot. Um... And it's going to be fun, and I'm really fun, and my book's really good, and you should get that. And all right, um, that's it. Peace out. No cops, no creeps. Peace in the pizzeria. Harvester out.